How would you respond if somebody asked you the question, why do you believe the Bible and not other religion books? Well, some people might respond with, well, God wrote it, therefore it must be the true Word of God. But you know, other people who follow other religions have their books and they can say the exact same thing. So which book is the true Word of God? Well, you know, some people might respond with, well, all religions are really the same. Well, that just shows their ignorance about other religions because it's very clear all religions aren't the same. So what would be an effective response to our challenging question today? Why do you believe the Bible? Well, I want to welcome you to Creation Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, from Creation Training Initiative. And we're the group that offers training courses, such as our basic creation training class and training courses to train teachers. We even now have a five-day training class for all who want to learn how to speak and teach on creation. Well, today our topic is, why do you believe the Bible? How should we respond to that question? Well, this is not a time to say, God wrote it, that settles it. That type of response just shows us how shallow our Christian walk really is. Because see, in 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us we have to have a better answer than that. Because 2 Timothy 2.15 makes this statement. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It says we are to be diligent. And another way of saying that is we are to Study the Word of God, not be shallow in our responses. Also, in 1 Peter 3.15, it tells us we are to have a ready response, a ready answer, always be able to defend our faith, always when we're challenged about our faith there. So every Christian should know how to answer this question. Why do you believe the Bible when there's so many other religion books out there? Why should we know it? Because it is a question that gives us, or actually begs us, to evangelize the person asking that question. That's why we should know how to answer. Secondly, because the Word of God tells us we're to have a ready defense, a ready answer always. And third, because the, that question hits at the very core of why we call ourselves Christians. That's why we need to know how to answer that question. Well, to start with, there are many different religion books. So which one is true? Well, let's take a look at some of the other religions out there. There's Judaism, and they use the Old Testament, not necessarily the New Testament in the Bible. There's Islam. They have the Koran. There's Hinduism. They have many books. Their, their most popular ones are the Vandas. Mormonism, we have the works of Joseph Smith. Again, we have Christianity, which uses the Bible, the Old and New Testament. We have Catholicism, which uses the Bible, plus seven additional books they've added to the Bible. Then there's atheists who use the Humanist Manifesto. Well, which one is true? Well, let's ask ourselves two questions about these different books. Number one, what separates them? Or better yet, what separates religions? Or are they really all the same? And number two, why would I choose one book or one religion over another? So how should we make this decision? Now remember the question is, why do we believe the Bible and not other religion books? So what we want to do in our response is talk about the Bible, not other religion books or other religions. The question is, why do you believe the Bible? 
So we want to talk about the Bible because this is our chance to evangelize. We don't want to get into a discussion about their religion. We don't want to challenge them on their religion. What we want to tell them is why we or you believe the Bible, not why you don't believe something. Let's keep it on a positive note here. So in order to answer this question, let's take a look at five different criteria that will help us determine which one is true. These five criteria are, number one, is there any difference between the religions that use their book? Number two, who wrote the book? In this case, who wrote the Bible? Number three, which book or which religion agrees with reality? Number four, which one answers ultimate questions? And number five, who is God and what is He like? Those will be the five criteria we'll use to determine which book talks about the real, true God. So criteria number one, is there any difference between religions? And yes, there is. It's very easy to understand that. See, every other religion, every religion in the world except Christianity, requires works to be done for your form of salvation. In other words, it's called do. Every other religion requires you to do something. But in God's Word, the Bible says no. It's already been done for you. So the difference is do and done. See, in Christianity, the works have already been completed. They were completed when Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, suffered and died on that cross and was raised from the dead three days later, the resurrection. The works have already been done and have been done by Jesus Christ himself. So right there we see a separation between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Again, it is called do and done. And it's also called God's grace, giving us what we don't deserve. Do and done. Now another item that separates Christianity and the Bible from every other religion in the world is called prophecy. Prophecy makes the Bible unique among other religions especially religions like Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, or the Book of Mormon, separates Jesus Christ from all these other religions and people. Now, other religions might have some prophecy in them, but only the Bible maintains a 100% accuracy rate. None of them point to somebody like Jesus Christ, and the prophecies about Jesus Christ, the great claims made about Him, and the incredible feats that Jesus Christ did perform. In Barton Payne's Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, he lists 1,239 prophecies in the Old Testament and 578 prophecies in the New Testament for a total of 1,817 prophecies. That encompasses 8,352 verses in the Bible, or about 27% of the Bible is prophecy. And again, 100% accuracy. Now again, in there, there are hundreds of prophecies. And some of these are just about Jesus Christ. His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection, and His second coming. Every one of those prophecies has been filled, fulfilled accurately, except His second coming, which hasn't happened yet. And I'm going to tell you this, it will happen. Because every other prophecy is 100% accurate, so will that one be. 
So criteria number one, there is a difference between Christianity, the Bible, and every other religion in the book or in the world. It's called do and done, and we also took a look, a quick look at prophecy. So let's go to criteria number two. Who wrote the Bible? Who wrote this religion book? Well, first, it was not written by one man in seclusion or a handful of people that were in seclusion. See, the Bible is a book that contains 66 books written by over 40 authors, written on three different continents over a span of 1,500 years, written in three different languages. It is recorded by men from many different professions. For example, Moses was a prince who became a shepherd. Joshua was a general. Amos, a herdsman. David, a shepherd who became a king. Solomon, a king. Daniel, a government official. Isaiah, a prophet. Luke, a physician. Matthew, a tax collector. Peter and John, fishermen. Paul, a scholar. See, many men, over 40 different authors from many different professions. There was no seclusion about this at all, folks. And the Bible also has a unified theme. Now imagine this, a book written over 1,500 years by over 40 different authors on three different continents has a unified theme that has never changed. It is called Paradise Created, Paradise Lost, and Paradise Restored. And it all points to Jesus Christ. That is the theme of the Bible. It's called God's plan of restoration. We have paradise created, paradise restored. Then the entire rest of the Bible is God's plan of redemption and restoration. So who wrote the Bible? Well, the words were penned by men under the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit. We see this in the next two verses. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it reads, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Did you get that? All Scripture is God-breathed. Men put the words down on paper, but God inspired it. We also see this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, and it states, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So there's number two. Who wrote the Bible? The words were written down by men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now let's go to number three, criteria number three. Which one, which book, which religion agrees with reality? Well, let's start with this. Where did this universe come from? Some religions don't even mention that, but the Bible is very clear. It starts in Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right there, we have the beginning of space, time, and matter. That is the answer. The Bible doesn't go away from these tough questions. It answers these tough questions. Where did the universe come from? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You see, a non-believer does not have an answer to that question. They make up a lot of stories. But we know from good science and good logic, 
from nothing, nothing comes. In other words, the universe could not have created itself and it could not have always existed. That violates our laws of science. But the Bible does not. It says somebody greater than this universe called it into existence by his great power. It is the only logical and scientific explanation. So the Bible agrees with reality there. The Bible agrees with reality. Where did the stars come from? Now, the non-believer has a lot of explanations. They have a lot of explanations, but not one of them agrees with science. But the Bible answers that question. On day four, it states, and he made the stars also. That is where our God is. He is so powerful. He called into existence every one of those stars. And it was so easy for him to do that. The non-believer doesn't have an answer to that. And most other religion books don't even address that question. But the Bible does, and it agrees with reality. The origin of information, our DNA, the incredible amount of information in our DNA, cannot be answered by the scientists. The only answer they have is over millions of years and many random mutations. Folks, that is nothing more than a fairy tale. It has never been observed. But the Bible says our God put that information in there from the beginning. Do you know the information, the compactness, and the amount of information in one DNA molecule is greater than anything mankind can create itself? Then the Bible agrees with the origin of life. See, no scientist on this planet has been able to create a single human cell or any biological cell. Our scientists can't even create a single protein yeah, let alone a living cell. So how did life originate? There had to be somebody greater than any scientist that ever existed. It's called, in the beginning, God created. You see, we know, and God gave us his fingerprint here. He gave us all the information so no one would have an excuse on this issue, the origin of life. Because we know from good science that life cannot start with oxygen in the atmosphere. It cannot start if there's no oxygen. It can't start in water. And God made this so complex, no scientist can really figure it out. So again, the Bible agrees with reality how life got here. Again, most religion books don't talk about that. The Bible agrees with where did the dinosaurs come from? See, the non-believer doesn't have a good answer for that. See, when I've been to, I've been to museums all over this planet. I've read many, many dinosaur books. What do I see in these museums? Dinosaurs. What do I see in the textbooks? Dinosaurs. What am I not seeing? All the thousands of transitions that led up to dinosaurs, they're simply not found anywhere on this planet. This might surprise you. It's as if they were created after their kind, exactly as the Bible teaches. On day six, God not only created humans, Adam and Eve, but he also created the land animals, which includes the dinosaurs. Even in the Bible, Job chapter 40, verses 15 through 18, we have a very good description of what could have been a dinosaur called Behemoth. So again, the Bible does agree with reality. What other religion books talk about this? See, they don't want to hit these hard answers. They just leave it alone. The fossil record, the Bible agrees with the fossil record. See, we don't find enormous amounts of fossils being laid down today. So why do we have so many millions and billions and billions of fossils in the fossil record today? It's called a worldwide flood. A flood that covered the whole earth and even the highest of the mountains were covered at that time with ocean water. See, the Bible agrees with this. 
The non-believer does not have a good answer. All they can do is hire artists to draw and make a lot of statements. See, we find fossil graveyards all over the world. Graveyards would find hundreds to thousands of creatures all buried and fossilized together, including dinosaurs buried with many other kinds of creatures. We find fossils of whales a third of the way up the Andes Mountains, and they don't have legs to walk up there. We find at the very bottom layers of the fossil record, zero transitions leading up to these complex creatures. And we find fully formed creatures and a complete lack of transitions in the fossil record. The Bible does agree with reality. God created a worldwide flood and it buried many, many creatures. Matter of fact, all those creatures that were not on that ark perished in that flood. The Bible agrees with history. Archaeology always has confirmed God's Word. The Bible agrees with the sanctity and value of human life. You see, humans, we were made in the image and likeness of God, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That means we are not animals. We are special in God's eye. It is man that has classified humans as animals, but that is not how God sees us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We see the enormous design and complexity of all life, so complex our best scientists cannot do this. And we see the laws of science. You see, man, mankind, we create hypotheses, we create theories, we create assumptions. But did you know we do not create the laws of science? We only discover them. So where did they come from? Where did the first and second laws of thermodynamics come from? Where did the law of biogenesis come from that states life only produces life? In other words, life only comes from prior life. Now, how do evolutionists get around this? They ignore that law of science. But the Bible agrees with it, that God is the creator of all life. See, the Bible does answer ultimate questions. It does not try to evade them. Now, let's go to criteria number four. Which one, which religion book answers ultimate questions? Let's take a look at some of these questions. For instance, where did we come from? Well, that answer is very easy in the Bible. It's called, God is the creator of all things. He created all life. We see this in many places in the Bible. Genesis 1 we see God created the heaven and the earth. He created all life. And it gives a very good description of what He created every day for His six days of creation. And then He called it very good in Genesis 1.31. We see again in Isaiah 42, verse 5, it states, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread them forth upon the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. We see it again in John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. We see it again in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. We see it also in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. We see it again in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. 
By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And we see it again, even in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So the answer to the first question, where did we come from? God created all things, including life. Second power or ultimate question, what is the purpose of life? Well, the Bible does not evade that. It gives a very good answer. See, the purpose, our purpose in life, is to love, obey, glorify, and enjoy God. Let's take a look at some verses on this. We are to love God. Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said unto him, You shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. We are to give all our love to him. To obey God. We see this in Matthew 28, verse 19. The Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are to glorify God. We see this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. We are to glorify Him and not ourselves. And finally, we are to enjoy God. We see this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, where it states, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. That is the purpose of our life. The Bible answers the ultimate question, Why is there death and suffering? Well, let's take this in steps. In Genesis, God is the creator of all things. But in Genesis 1.31, He called His creation perfect, very good. Nothing wrong with His creation. And in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, God gives us one rule. It says, do not break this rule. If you break this rule, there will be consequences, and the consequence will be death. So God gave us one rule, and He said, if you break this rule, you will surely die. And then we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, disobedience. Adam and Eve break that one rule, and God keeps His promise, and from that promise, we have death and suffering. So why is there death and suffering? It's because of the original sin, disobedience. And God in Genesis 3, verses 14 and 19, places a curse on all of creation. We see this also brought out in the New Testament. Romans 5, 12, death. Death came through one man because of one man's sin. We see it also in Romans 8, chapters 20 through 22. All of creation groaned because of one man's sin. So why is there death and suffering? is because of the original sin, our sins, folks. We chose to rebel. We chose to live by our rules and not God's rule. The ultimate question then, what happens when we die? The Bible answers that question. And it depends on your relationship with Jesus Christ. And we read this in John chapter 14, verse 6, where it states, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus Christ, God here says, what happens when you die? It depends. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Not anyone else. The Bible says there's only one way, and it is through Jesus Christ. The Bible answers the ultimate question. 
What is the difference between right and wrong? What about morality? The, an the answer comes in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 19, where it states, I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare the things that are right. See, only the Bible gives a universal answer to what is right and what is wrong. It is not based on some arbitrary standard by whoever happens to be in power at the moment. You see, that is just a set of standards that can change from who's ever in power to whoever comes in power next. In other words, it comes down to this. If the state can give you rights and tell you what is right and wrong, the state can also change those. In other words, they're just arbitrary rules what is right and wrong, and they change even sometimes day to day. But the Bible gives a universal standard. It says somebody who is higher than anyone, God himself says he declares what is right. And then the last criteria, what I think is one of the most important ones of all. Who is God and what is he like? Many have a distorted view of who God of the Bible is. Why? Because of the misinformation being given by the media, the misinformation in the education system in our universities. This is our chance to tell the other person who God is, who the living God of the Bible is. See, number one, he is the creator of all things. That's who our God is. He created each and every one of us in his image and likeness. And he says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He is a personal God. I don't need to talk to some statue carved out of human hands. I don't need some mediator to go to. The Bible says, the living God, you can talk to him directly. We do not have to go through anything carved out of human hands. We don't have to go to rocks or another person. He is a living God. He's not some inanimate object, again, carved out of human hands. He is not the sun. He is not the oceans. He is not the moon. He is not some crystals. He is a living God, not something made up by man. He is a God of love. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son to sacrifice and suffer on that cross so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He is a God of love because in Romans 5, 8, he tells us that while we were still dead in our sins, while we're still rebelling from him, he loved us at that moment also. We have a God of love. We have a God of patience. He's a God that says, I will wait for you. Even while we're rebelling and running from him, he says, I will wait on you to come to me. He is a God of patience. He's a God who cares for us. He tells us, cast all your cares on him. He can carry them for us. That's who our God is. Let's not forget He's also a God of judgment. If all you believe he's a God of love, you do not know the God of the Bible. He is a God of judgment. He judged this world once by a flood, and he's going to come back and judge this world again. And then finally, he is a God of mercy. And we read this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we're dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see, our God says this, it doesn't matter what you have done. His mercy and his grace is big enough 
to cover it all. That's who our God is. The question I have is, do you know Him? Do you really know Him? Would you like to know Him? You can find out about Him by reading His Word called the Bible. And I'll leave you with these two very important things if you don't know Him. The first one comes in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 11. And it states, That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. And then finally, the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Did you know Jesus Christ stands at your door right now waiting for you to respond to his call? Do you know him? Would you like to know him? Thank you and God bless you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear.